Hey guys, what's up? Today we have a very special guest, Coach Mike Littlewood, head coach at Brigham Young University. I've known Mike for a long time. He's been coaching for almost 25 years. This is his eighth year at BYU, and he coached 16 years at Dixie Junior College. Coach Littlewood, welcome to the call. How are you, man? Hey, Chad. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Coach, I wanted to bring you on today. Um, number one, we've known each other for a long time. Um, we actually, so I grew up in Salt Lake. You started your coaching career at Alta High School, where I would have went to high school, and you actually would have been my head coach. <laughs> I <wanted laughs> didn't know that. Kind of, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I wanted to walk you, kind of walk our guys through your playing career, and then obviously you became a coach. Like, how did you become a coach? So if you can, walk us through your whole uh, playing career up until where you are at BYU now. Yeah, I mean, I went to Taylorsville High School. My sophomore year was the very first. I'm dating myself, but my sophomore year at Alta or at Taylorsville was the very first year that school opened. And we just happened to have a bunch of really good baseball players. Uh, we came from Cottonwood and Kearns and the Taylorsville area. Um, I think that year we started like seven freshmen, one sophomore and a senior on our, on our high school team. We didn't have a home field for, for two years. Had to play everything on the road. But, I mean, I think really I loved baseball before that. Um, Little League, I went to the to the Western Regionals in San Bernardino a couple times. I mean, so with Kearns. And so I kind of just grew up loving baseball. Um, went to BYU and, um, you know, was just was, was an okay player there and got to pro ball and realized I, I wasn't really good at all. And, uh, and that's probably what pushed me into coaching really, really quick. And so, um, man, I think I've been, um, except for the year I played professional baseball, I've coached since I was 19 years old. Um, I, for Coach Steve Cramblett, he called me when I was in between my freshman and sophomore year at, at BYU and said, can you coach our, our Legion team? And I said, yeah, great. So I was 19 coaching a bunch of 17 and 18 year olds. And um, that's when I kind of just, I really fell in love with coaching and knew that that's what I wanted to do. And um, the rest is history. Yeah, we, we were, uh, it just seems like everywhere I've gone, I've had great opportunities to, and been at great places with great support. Alta High School was awesome. Three years there, um, the parents were so supportive and building um, a new field for us, a new scoreboard. And every it seems like everywhere I've gone, it's just we've had that kind of support that we can just make upgrades and do do some special things. And uh, Dixie was awesome. I mean, it was our kids grew up there, and uh, 16 years that's a big chunk. So the first 10 years we were a junior college, and we went to the we went to the uh, Junior College World Series four times, took second place in 2001. We and and that's kind of that that year in 2001 was um, all all coaching and not on the good side. We had a one run lead in the eighth, and I make a pitching change and we lose it by one run. Uh -huh. um, uh, and then in 2004 we win it. I mean that's just we win the national championship. So there's some great great memories at Dixie and and um, I think really for me every job I've I've gotten out to Dixie and then, and then uh, BYU, I, I haven't really pursued and it was the only thing I wanted to do. You know, I refereed college basketball for the 16 years I was in, at Dixie and um, I was happy, content. Um, and I could have done, I could have done that the rest of my life. And, and then the BYU opportunity came up and, and it just, it was a perfect fit. And um, there, my administration is super competitive and, and uh, they want to win just as bad, if not more than I want to win. So it's, 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 there's some nice synergy there. That's awesome. So when you, when you kind of had, you, 
was it one year of pro ball? A couple, a year yeah, I played one year of pro one ball. Year. Yep. Just so one. at that point, you decided, look, this probably ain't for me. I'm going to get into coaching. What was it about coaching that kind of drew you to that? Was it just the love of the game or was it really like you started to kind of teach and you're like, man, this is kind of fun? Well, I think every aspect about coaching, you know, I've developed decent leadership skills over the years. And, and I like, I've always, even as a player, I thought about strategy and not only when a coach would say, do this, bunt, steal, hit and run, whatever. I would think of the whys, you know, wh why are we doing this? Um, instead of just the, okay, I'm just going to do this because I would try to think deeper and, and, and really not even try to think deeper. My mind would just kind of go there. Um, and so I think I've always had the coaching mindset. Um, I feel like I can deal with a, a bunch of different type of people. We have, have to be able to do if you go into coaching, especially the higher level. Uh, it's more of a, um, you know, you, you think of all the different people you have to deal with at a high level, especially at, a, at the D1 level. It's uh, boosters are, are a huge part of what we do, fundraising. And then really, you're, you're almost a counselor and a second parent to all of your players and 35 different personalities that you have to try to get the, the most out of and if you just treat them all the exact same then uh, you know I don't think you're going to be very successful as a coach so you kind of have to know how to massage people's egos and um, you know show them you care about them in a, in a specific way I mean it's just, it, there's a lot that goes into it once you once you keep you know once you make it your career and that's what you're going to do it's it's a it's a 24-7 non-stop job. I bet. Do you have any uh, specific stories? You don't have to certainly name any names by any means, but you mentioned you're, you're a counselor. It's, it's all like you're, you're coaching from a baseball perspective and you're coaching counseling in life. Are there any specific stories that kind of came to you over time that maybe a kid was really struggling in a certain area, you know, that maybe a kid that's listening now is like, man, I went through that. Like, how would Coach Littlewood handle this? Well, some of them were tough, but some of the most special memories I have are of conversations I've had with players that are non-baseball. I had a player at Dixie come into my office and he, he was just sobbing. You know, I, I kind of talked talking about trying to get to the, a little bit more in depth of what, what was going on. And, you know, he actually said, he, he said to me, you know, and I have pretty strong faith, um, obviously as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and it's a big, big part of my life. And he said, he said you know, I, I'm having these issues and, and they were pretty deep, dark issues. And he said that, um, I said, well, have you ever prayed about it to, to wh whoever you believe in? Because, um, you know, he wasn't a member of, of the church, and I don't think he really belonged to any church. And he said, you know, I, I never really have. I've just always done everything on my own. And it kind of made me realize that there's people out there that don't realize that there's a higher power. Um, whatever you believe in, there's a higher power. And you can, you can gain strength. Um, and support from that higher power and and so I talked to him about that and, and it was just interesting that and I was happy that even though he possibly just looked at himself as a baseball player and 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 one of my players he had the courage to come in and talk to me about life things and, and I think it was a really good conversation that we had and our relationship was definitely deeper after that where most coaches and players should be I mean that's where it should be uh, if you can have that open communication. I've had a lot of conversations at BYU with players who are thinking about going on missions. And um, again, those are pretty emotional things that, and guys who just feel like they can't, what they get anxiety when they go out on the field and we try to talk through them. We have a mental strength coach here at BYU 
Dr. Craig Manning, who's, who's incredible, uh, worked with the U.S. ski team and works with the Milwaukee Bucks and Red Bull athlete, athletes. And I mean, he's, he's really good. And he talked about anxiety and the fear of, you know, anxiety is really the fear of, of what hasn't happened yet in the future, you know? Um, so we kind of talked through those things, but it's a, it's more about putting a ball on a tee and hitting it or hitting a ground ball or saying, Hey, throw a strike. You know, there's, there's a lot more that goes into coaching than just the, just the physical skills. No doubt. So, so being at BYU, you're obviously the one school, maybe you can include a little bit of university of Utah, uh, maybe Utah Valley, but you guys deal with the kids that come to the school. I know back in the day, kids would, before they graduate high school, some would go on their mission right away or they would come for a year, you know, their freshman year, and then leave for a mission. What is that like dealing with that? Players kind of kind of coming in and out, and they, on the recruiting side, being able to figure out, okay, what's our scholarship situation here? Yeah. <laughs> well, it, I don't know if anybody knows that. Give me a call and let me, and let me know, because yeah. I, <laughs> I could really use some help there. You know, our, our scholarships are – Right now, we've, our scholarships are pretty much done and planned out through the 2022 graduates. And so real guys are going to come and go on, on missions. We never, contrary to, to some popular belief, we, we never encourage someone to not go on a mission. Um, we, and we really don't say a whole lot to them about a mission or not. We let them, if they bring it up, we always, 100% of the time, say, if there's 1% of you that feels like you should go on a mission, then you need to go on a mission. But just be upfront with us. I mean when we get into trouble and, and, and problems with scholarship is when somebody says, um, I'm going on a mission, I'm going, and then I'm not, now I'm not going to go. And then they still think that their money's going to be there. Um, and we've had some of those issues uh, and, and we can get past those, but things change and things are dynamic and they're fluid with, with the missionary situation with kids making decisions, but we just want them to be upfront and we have to do a lot of planning with scholarship. And, um, uh, with this COVID-19 thing, it's, it's been crazy because missionaries are getting sent home. Seniors are coming back. I mean, it's, it's a crazy, it's a crazy situation with roster spots right now. And so I'm not sure we're, how we're going to navigate through that, but we'll, we'll do our best. Now, for those that haven't really been paying attention to the college side of things, what's going to happen next year? And, and can you share with us, you know, they said that now seniors can come back and play. Does that, does that allow your rosters to expand? Like, what's some of the things that you're dealing with now as the, as the head coach? Yeah, well, currently, um, the NCAA has allowed rosters to expand at least to the amount of the, the number of seniors that you want to bring back. But there's another dynamic to this, and that is and, – and it's, it doesn't affect us as much. We expected probably three of our guys to get drafted. Now that they're probably not going to get drafted, since the draft's probably going to be – you could probably speak to this more than I could, but – it's going to be a condensed draft. I think everybody's in agreement with that. And so you look at the SEC schools who plan on, and a lot of the Power Five schools who they'll recruit maybe 15 really high-level freshmen to come in for the fall, but they're going, to, they're going to plan on 10 of those guys getting drafted. And then they're going to plan on maybe five or six of their juniors getting drafted. And so now that's, that's going to, that number is going to shrink big time. And so where do all the players go? And so, you know, there's, I've heard a lot of schools saying to their freshmen that were just freshmen this last year, if they don't see them, if they don't project them in their starting lineup this next year, that, that they just send junior colleges. I mean, it's a tough, tough time. We've had to reduce and take away scholarships to, to thin out the roster. And that's just the nature of what's going on. But, man, I, 
I can't imagine those SEC schools who have 45 guys. Mm. And right now, it's all, rosters are only expanded to the number of seniors that you have coming back. But there, I, I know the ABCA, the, the Baseball Coaches Association, is trying to make a push to expand rosters to allow those freshmen to come in. But still, at the end of the day, you're, you have to have 35 before you, 35 percent roster before you start your season, and you can't have any extra money. We get 11.7 scholarships, and that's not going to change. And so, the only thing this year, the caveat to that is, uh, we can put our senior again don't count against caught in the middle of this thing and not be where they want to be in the fall. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine. I, I know for any any players that are that senior that missed out on their senior year, you know, now they're going into their freshman year. Now they're having to deal with, you know, it, probably their mindset was like, yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a dude. I'm going to go into BYU or any division one, and I'm going to have a chance to win a starting job. Not to say they still don't have that opportunity, but now you're dealing with potential, all these seniors coming back. Now, from my understanding, is it up to you as the head coach and your program to say, yeah, we want you senior to come back, that it, it's ultimately your, your decision? Is that right? It, it is. Yeah, it is. And the way we're going to do our – so everybody, um, we wouldn't have to bring our seniors back. We have two, Jared Lesser, who was in our weekend rotation, and Abe Valdez, who was our starting catcher. We want both those guys to come back. And so unless they somehow um, sign with a professional team, Abe, Abe was uh, from Mexico, and so, you know, there, there might be a Mexican league team that's interested in him. And I know a couple teams have, have inquired about uh, Jared Lesser. But I would plan on both those guys coming back. Um, but the way we're going to do it just to kind of keep everything clear in our minds as a staff and as players, those freshmen that were freshmen this year, we had 16 of them. It was a huge, huge freshman class, as you know, mm -hmm. those guys, we're going to classify them as sophomores next year and then juniors the next year. And then at that point, we'll decide, are you going to help us? Is it going to be a waste of your time to stay here? Should you transfer and then kind of, kind of thin things out at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and, and things kind of, they'll shut themselves out if and if, and if we want them back then we'll give them another year back and if not they can transfer and they can still get that year back and so in other words we're not gonna next year those guys aren't gonna be freshmen again they're gonna be sophomores and, and so it kind of keeps everything clear in their minds and our minds yeah that's good it seems too like this is gonna probably take anywhere two three four years to kind of sort itself out in a way and and I would have to imagine too because I, I see it from my perspective when you, you have a senior, you know, a kid has become a senior, but then you got these dudes coming in as freshmen. And a lot of times these dudes as a young freshman are better than that older senior. So the older seniors kind of like, yeah, I'm just kind of, I'm just going to finish school. I'm going to be on the team. I'm probably not going to play as much uh, unless they're really a draft guy. They might've been drafted already as a junior. Uh, but sometimes those guys get through the cracks. They end up being a senior. And a lot of times, though, at BYU, as you, it, I wanted to talk about the kind of the academic side. That it's still pretty tough to get into BYU. Uh, yeah. when, I, when Brent Herring, your recruiting coordinator, I was listening to him one day, and he said, yeah, BYU is a lot like Stanford academically. Like we want, even though you might be playing baseball, we kind of look at ourselves as kind of a Stanford in regards to education. And our classes are actually pretty hard. So, I mean, if you're just the average matriculating student from high school to, to BYU, I mean, you've almost got to put up a 3.9 GPA and a 30 on your ACT. I mean, unless you have, uh, you know, and there's there's a seven-part um, essay program and different things. To, and, and, and I think BYU 
I know BYU puts a, uh, a big emphasis on, on the essay part and your extra, extracurricular activities and, and kind of what you're doing for the community. It's not just all GPA and ACT based, but um, obviously with athletics to be competitive, those standards have to be lowered a little bit, massaged a little bit, but you still have to be a very good student. And then once you get in, I mean, you've got to be able to handle the workload. Um, and so we have a, we, I mean, we have safety net after safety net to, to be able to, um, I get a grade report every single Monday. So when the kid comes in with us, um, he's first of all, an advisor, which everybody has an academic advisor. We'll do, do their classes for him and, and make sure that they're in the right classes to make progress towards degree. But then what we do is we'll sign every kid a, a student mentor. And this student mentor is like a high achieving student that's a might even be a graduate student. But that mentor is responsible to, to stay in contact with, with the four or five student athletes there that they're responsible for every single day. And, and then every single week, I get a report on Monday that shows me attendance and grades. And, and like, I mean, it's up to date live stuff that they're, that they're doing. I'll, I'll get reports from a test that they took over the weekend sometimes. And so I'll get up to date grades on everybody. And then, and then I'll deal with that on, either Monday afternoon or Tuesday, I'll have guys come into my office. And um, it's, it's been a, it's been really a great process. Um, but with study halls and, and um, tutors available, we won't lose a, we won't lose a kid unless he simply just does not want to go to class. And, and um, even then we'll, we'll know about it. And so <laughs> there might be a one, one or two week drag or lag in that, but we'll know about them. And, and we just don't lose many guys, even as hard as it is, because all the other guys, it's kind of it's kind of a great culture. Because all the other guys will help. Hey, I took this class. Let me tell you what I did and what the what the instructor is looking for, and I can help you out with this. Study halls right across in our team room from my office. I mean, it's just it's just a great culture right now academically uh, and overall. But academically, you need that support uh, at BYU. No doubt, no doubt. That's that's awesome. It's I know from a parent's perspective, that's probably definitely a thing that we would look at as a kid going to college. Like, what's the support system here? Like, do they just go to school and they cross their fingers, hope they're going to class and get good grades? It sounds like <laughs> the complete opposite <laughs> with you guys. That's the number one thing we get asked by parents and especially moms. They could really care less <laughs> about the facilities and, and the Nike gear and, you know, all the Rawlings glove they get. It's how how what support systems do you have in place academically and honestly that's why they're here i mean that that's why they come to BYU that's why they go to any division 1 school is is to get a degree and although they may not know it at the time um i've seen many many more of our players graduate get a job and and be productive and have families than i have seen go play pro ball i mean yeah. And we have a few go play pro ball. We, I think we have 10 or 11 playing pro ball right now, and they're doing well. But, um, you know, we have hundreds, even in my eight years. You know, we have probably 50 guys right now that have families and jobs, and, and that's, that's really why they're there. So, Yeah, no doubt. Usually, because what I personally had experience with a, with a BYU player in the draft and stuff, the, some of the thoughts are, man, I, I'm, I'm getting my degree because I, maybe I'm a little bit older, or I'm going straight into a – 60,000, 70,000 plus, uh, you know, K year job. Yeah. Do I want to do that or go get, you know, kind of chump change in, in a ball and, and just hope I play. So it's kind of a different mindset. Sometimes it's kind of hard to understand if you're outside of the church, you know, yeah. like, 
like you don't want to play pro ball like that's that's all you should want to do and the reality is as you know not everybody's going to have that happen and um, yeah. you've got your personal experience uh coach Trent Pratt has had his experience they've all had the experience and when you get that degree there's just so many more things you can do with it yeah it just opens up so so many other doors and yeah, that I want to touch on one of the things you said is because I feel that same way that you don't want to play pro ball. Are you kidding me? Why are you, why are you playing here then? Yeah. And, and I think if, when I first got to BYU, if I were to ask that out of the 40 guys that we had in the fall, maybe eight or nine would have said, yeah, I, w I wouldn't mind playing pro ball, you know? And, but now I would think out of the 30, there's always a few that don't, they're going to go do their thing. But I would say 30 to 35 of them. And the ones who don't, that's okay as long as they're given everything they've got. I mean, our mantra is all in, and you have to be all in and doing everything to your utmost ability, weight room, classroom, off the field, everything to, to help this team win. And if you're not, then, then you don't, you're just not going to survive here. But I would say now it's probably a 30, 30 out of 35 that want to play pro ball. But they also have that perspective that if I don't, I, I'm going to have a great degree. Our alumni are so incredible. Uh, just real quick, I um, just kind of made my made me think about this one thing. We had a we had a former player that wanted to change jobs, and this was about a year ago. And he and he called me, and he said, "Hey, coach, I'm having trouble with my job. You know, I'm not sure how much more I'm going to last here, and just reaching out to see if there's any anybody that you know that might have something open up." And literally, I text like five guys, and in two hours, um, that that guy had an interview and a week later he was hired by a different company one of our former players and that's what's really special about you know you talk about how important alumni are and and that and that support system it's just not the money you know it's just not here's money for this and here's money for that it's rubbing shoulders and telling stories and having guys from the 60s talk to the guys from the two, 2019 class you know and have them all together at our first pitch dinner and stuff but when it gets real is that those kind of life things having an interview, offering a guy a job, and he's doing great now, that's providing for his family. I mean, that's what, that's what the alumni system's all about. And so when you say you're in our BYU baseball family, it's not just, they're not just words. Those are, it, it, it's, it's real, you know, and, 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 a, and one of them is staying stay in touch with those guys. I think that's sometimes the appeal of, of being a D1 player. You know, it's sometimes – we talk a lot, a lot of the kids that there's only so many kids that can go and play at the D1 level and actually play and compete right away as a freshman. Sometimes they, they got to take their lumps, their bumps, and a lot of times they don't get into that lineup, say, their sophomore year. And sometimes the advice is, well, if, if you're in that boat, which a lot are, maybe you do go the junior college route, you know, to continue to get bigger, faster, stronger, improving your maturity and your mentality, all those type of things. But I, I can see why the end goal is to get to a D1 because of the, the you finishing your degree. And then also you got the alumni that can always help you out in life and with your job. Um, yeah, yeah, no doubt. A, th a thought that I had, too, as we're talking here, you are at a church based school. A lot of questions I get are, do you have to be a part of the church to go and play and compete at BYU? Yeah, the answer is, uh, I think this year on our on our team, we have 12 or 13 guys that are not members of, of the church. And I think and I think it's really, really important for our, our program to have a good a good mix. And um, the, the one thing you have to do is live by the honor code and you have to be a good person, good character. 
uh, be a good fit for, you know, there's watching him on the field is just such a small percentage of, of you know, watching his at bats or watching him field the ground ball. Um, you have to meet a certain standard, of course, to be able to do that and, and run and lateral quickness and all that stuff. But especially for BYU, um, you have to be, you have to be a good teammate. You just have to, and you have to be a good fit. And, and if you're not that, then all the other skills really, really don't matter. There's been guys we've passed on in the past that um, everybody's – what's awesome about this whole thing, too, is, is um, with our networking system, guys are honest with us. And they'll go, hey, he's not a BYU fit. And, and that might be his, his coach or his, his travel ball coach or a scout. You know, I, I think you and I have had conversations about that before. Like, tell me about this kid. Good, you know, great player, probably not a fit. And that, you know, for us, that saves us a lot of heartache, a lot of money, uh, you know, a lot of trouble. The other kid, for the kid who's coming in, too, who just simply is going to come in for a year and, and probably not feel comfortable and then have to go somewhere else. And so, but I would say that the, the, the 11 or 12 or 13 guys that are on our team right now, shoot, one of them, Noah Hill, was our, came in from Texas, played for four years, ended up being our starting catcher last year. And then he's on my staff. Um, I want to coaching. So that's a, to have a non-member. And, and honestly, I, I, there's sometimes I'll go to coach Harry and coach Pratt is, is, is no, is he, is he a member of the church or not? I can't remember. Right. I just don't even look at it that way. You know, it's it yeah. just not, it's not, not the way I think. So anyway. Yeah. And that, that's a whole other really conversation too, is like, okay, well, do you treat members better than a non-member? Right. It, and you're saying, no, I, yeah. they're just people, <laughs> right. <laughs> Like, I'm, yeah, I'm I mean, going to only just... start the members until the non-members become members. Then I'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's, it's, some of our best kids over the years have, have, have been non-members. You know, just I look at a guy like Reed McLaughlin, who's All-American. He's from Arizona, All-American, fresh All-American pitcher for us. And, if, if you could say, oh, here's a cookie cutter member of the church or whatever, you know, because I, I always hate saying, well, he'd be a, a great member of the church, even though he's not, because I mean, it really, it's all about just being a good person. It really is. And there's so many of those guys, Jared Lesser's on our team right now, who is one of the seniors we talked about is just, just an awesome guy. And, you know, I think it's really important for members of the church to be around non-members who are, are good people and then and vice versa you know just getting different perspectives especially here in Utah I, I don't think you know we get members from Southern California and Florida and wherever around the country and they have a little bit I think better perspective of what's going on in the world but um, Vegas you know but when you're when you grow up in Utah and you can't turn your head you know anywhere without seeing in your neighborhood or whatever without seeing an LDS family it's just a little bit different when you're when you're around somebody else. You're thinking, "Oh, I I should be scared of this person because he's not a member of the church." You know, it's just, um, and so it's great for me. And and man, I I don't even look at it that way. And there's no quotas, there's no standards. It's just let's fill our roster with good people. Good to see what we can. Do. Yeah, that's awesome. And then I wanted to bring that up because I think that's something that people think about. And that might just write off your school because, oh, well, I'm not a member. Why would I go there? If you guys yeah. look at the background that Coach Littlewood is, I mean, when I go scout, it is the, the sweetest field. It's all turf. You got the mountains in the background. It, there's usually snow right on there. it. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's an amazing view, just an awesome place. I wanted to dive in, Coach, with you. 
you seem to really specialize in working with infielders and walk us through, you know, obviously there's drills, things you do, but what, what do you teach in regards to the mindset of an infielder? Well, we just, we want our guys to be aggressive. That's the biggest thing. And like you said, there's different drills. We start in the fall and it doesn't matter if they're freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, we start them all in the fall doing cone drills with lateral quickness and um, pre-pitch routine, moving right and left. But, but we just want them to be aggressive. Um, and the one thing that, that I like to do is um, it doesn't matter if they play second, short, or third, I work every infielder at every single spot in the infield, even, even mix a lot of them into first base. I think two years ago, not this year, but last year, we had four shortstops on the infield. Brian Sue was at first. He was a high school shortstop. And then you go all the way around the infield. We had, we had high school shortstops. And so um, I think it's unfair for a coach to put a guy at third, short, and second and only practice him there. And then all of a sudden, hey, I need you to move over to second base. Because from short to second or third to second, that's a huge, it's a huge move. You know, the angles are different. The hops are different. You feel the ball and turn, turn double plays different. So I like, to, I like to work them all at every spot. And when we do our summer camps, that's one thing I really – stress to the young kids is don't don't rat hole yourself into one spot I mean you're going to offer you're going to be able to offer a team much more if you can play two positions especially if you can maybe catch and play another position there's always going to be a spot for you so um, an aggressive mindset um, play with a good with a good game clock um, have a good motor so the thing what I mean by that is um, we all I don't want guys hanging their head after they make an error I, I just want them to always be positive um, one thing we'll do to get used to a, a game clock is we will um, I'll put coach Herring on a horn with a stopwatch and a horn and and we'll just so we know that 4.2 seconds from home to first is a pretty darn good time so that's usually what we'll do is we'll put 4.2 and we'll blow a horn from the time we hit the fungo um, to 4.2 so guys can just get used to taking ground balls at a good pace um, and there's times to take them working on mechanics we chart every single ground ball that we, that we take. So we'll chart the touch, we'll char chart the transfer, and we'll chart the throw. And, you know, after hundreds of ground balls, if you can see that – and all it is is three check marks. And you can kind of see that if you're, not in, if you're not getting your check marks on the first touch, that means something's wrong. We need to work with your hands just a little bit more. Get your hands in a better spot. Or if you're good with the first touch, you're good with the transfer, but your throws are kind of erratic, then it, we on that a little bit and work on your throws. And a lot of, a lot of times throws are a result of, of poor footwork. And so then we can start with the base of the footwork um, and, and as well as a transfer. And so those are some of the things we do, but we want an aggressive mindset playing with a good game clock. Um, the, what, what just drives me crazy is a routine ground ball that we're taking our time on. And all of a sudden we don't know that this runner who we have already scouted and they know he's a, a green runner or a fast runner Beats our, beats our throw by a half step because we have a slow motor on the infield. And so um, those are some of the things, just awareness and leadership and, and uh, aggressiveness in the infield. Yeah, that's definitely one thing that bugs me like crazy, especially at the high school level. You, you're going to say, watch that shortstop, ground balls hit. They're, they're, they're trying to be flashy, trying to show off. I'm going to hold up a little bit so I can show my arm strength. And then the runner's yeah. safe. You're just like, oh, like I, I don't. <laughs> care about your flash make the play <laughs> yeah but it's funny because over the years um some of some of the 
some of the the best infielders that I've Colt Sedbrook was one of them at Dixie when we were junior college. For, he runs a, a, a club in Colorado now. Just an awesome player. Played at U- University of Arizona. Went and played pro ball. But he had some mustard, you know, and he'd, he'd jump across the line and do a 360. And and I just remember, I I remember like, okay, I'm gonna let him do this for a little bit until he starts until it starts costing him a little. And and he he was young, but he made the comment something like, yeah, because he'd flick his glove or do something like that. And, I, and he's like, yeah, doesn't that looks good, right? And I go, you know what looks good? Is you catching the ball and throwing it to first and him catching it. That's what looks good. And that's kind of what I, what I like. So keep it simple, you know, catch it, throw it, let the other guy catch it. Um, that's for me. And I don't know if it's old school or not, but that's kind of what I like. No doubt. I, I mean, a lot of times these younger players, they watch, say, like a Javi Baez with the Cubs who – is it's just such an unbelievable talent and makes things look so easy can do things a little bit at that level but it's like dude you you're you're nowhere near that talent or yeah. level let's just you're catch the ground ball <laughs> throw it we need outs right we, we need to yeah. get back in here and hit <laughs> yeah it, it's interesting too because you know i guess that flash it just kind of comes and and i i spent a little time in the dr and those kids, like they're 12, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. They're just kind of like they're born with that. Um, and it's, it's in them. And that's just they see an older kid do it. And so they start doing it. Uh, and not, you know, not many, not many American kids can do that. They just haven't grown up. And for me, it's like um, one thing that I one thing that a lot of pe- people teach is the false right step, you know, to, to get around the ball. And so there's when guys get to us. Like, hey, you're wasting steps, you know. Just keep it simple. Get to the ball or get momentum to base spot to try to get our, you know, that one hopper that's really hit the shortstop while the first baseman is still running over there. And so if you don't work on the double shuffle, like catch it, shuffle, shuffle, throw, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, what, what do I do? And you're off balance. And so we work double shuffle. Then we work just no shuffle, getting rid of it. We, we try to work every arm angle that you might that might come up. So you're running to your left and throwing, throwing back, um, throwing – from down low, although I, I really like to incorporate um, into into our ground ball series that you kind of just don't because not every single ground ball is going to be one, two, hop, catch it and throw. You're going to have to do some, especially at shortstop, you're going to have to make some uh, pretty unique throws. And I think like the throws at second base, the two the two tough ones are the ball that takes a second baseman towards second and he's got to throw back towards first. That's that's an awkward throw. So I like to work on that quite a bit. The Jeter play where jump and then when the shortstop goes to the four hole, where he's got to throw from back here and make an accurate throw. Those are kind of things that if you don't work on them, it's, it's like, how do I do it? You know, unless you're just, unless hopefully you get a kid that can just do do everything, but very seldom does that happen. So I like to do that at every spot and just work some of those different things in. And I too, that's, that's typically when we're looking at middle infielders, the guys that can't do that, the higher level you go, that's, that's when they basically say, okay, you are now, you're not showing the athleticism. Now you're a corner guy, <laughs> right? Yeah. And you, or you, you've outgrown it. You're too big. But then you had, you know, when I was going up, c- coming up, we had, you know, Cal Ripken was one of my idols. Um, obviously, Jeter, A-Rod, Note Garcia Parra. These were big mm. athletic dudes that could still, at their size, make those plays. And, and, and then, again, what happens is once they get too big, they can't do it or they get too slow but they just don't have the arm strength to make those type of plays anymore. Yeah. Well, I, I look at uh, Marcus, my son, who, uh-huh. who 
was kind of like that that mold. I mean, he's six six two, six three, high school shortstop, and then played USA baseball. And he was on with that sixteen year old USA team with Chris Bryant and Bryce Harper and Tony Walters and um, Michael Lorenzen. I mean, just a, you know, there's like twenty big leaguers. It's a big name. And then yeah, and then and he played shortstop. But then when he went to when he made the team as an eighteen year old, there was a kid named Francisco Lindor that that came up and played shortstop, and so instantly. Marcus went to third base, which was probably the the better spot for him. But you could clearly see Francisco had shortstop skills. I mean, he had he had the arm, he had the quickness, he could make the the play on the run. And so that's the thing that that, that I look at. What profiles as a shortstop and as a, as a good D one shortstop? And a, a lot of guys can be good D one shortstops. What's the next level guy? You know. Maybe maybe like a Jackson Clough, how we had two, uh, two years ago, was sixth rounder with the with the Nationals. He's probably kind of a next level guy. He could make that ball, that play that's over the bag, where he figure fours three sixty and still makes the throw. And that's pretty special. Or makes the the sixth ball back can plant and throw or make that slow roller that you catch right behind the mound and barehand it and throw him out. I mean, not too many guys can make plays, and so that's next level. Um, but then so. Marcus kind of was like a Cal Ripken type pro- prototype yeah. um, and didn't have that lateral quickness that Francisco Lindor did. And so when he got to pro ball, he, he was playing short. And then his first year of pro ball, the, you know, they could see the same thing and they, they converted him to a catcher. And so when, as a player, when you think, oh, I'm a shortstop, I mean, you're just fooling yourself for the most part. Mm-hmm. And you may be a shortstop at, at, in high school, but, be willing to change and be willing to go to second, be willing to go to third, be willing to go to center or left. Um, on that same team I was talking about, we had a shortstop in left and we had a shortstop that played a little bit in center. Um, and so just be a player, you know, that, that's the big thing. Just be a player who's going to help your team and, and, um, and be a good teammate. I mean, honestly, that's what makes great teams. Yeah, and that's, I think it's really important because as you know, like, I, you know, I was drafted as a shortstop. And as I came up as a shortstop, can make plays, can do all things. I had really huge problems with my erratic throwing, you know, just all over the place. Like it's, it's coming yeah. in hot and just was never <laughs> able to figure it out. But, and it got to the point where I was like, well, this isn't fun. And right. my mindset was like going to the yard, constantly thinking about erratic throws. You, you know, it's just, it, it takes you and it consumes you. And then for me personally, I, it got to the point where like, look, I grew up really as a center fielder, you know, get me out, get me off the dirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let me go run let around. Me go roam. <laughs> yeah. Let me go run around, dive for some balls, throw some guys out. And it, I, it just, it didn't work out for me. So if you're in that boat, sometimes that happens, you know, but you, then you had guys like Derek Jeter who kind of had the same issues in the minor leagues, made yeah. 50, 60 errors, but yep. through, through coaching, uh, really probably through mindset training, he was able to figure it out and say, look, no, I'm a shortstop. I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to do. And now he's in the hall of fame and one of the greatest players ever. So yeah, it's just interesting how being open to, if you need to make a position change at some point, it happens. Cause when we're young, maybe like your son was, and he automatically, he became a catcher. I, he was probably thinking at some point, like, are you telling me I'm not good enough to be a shortstop? Like that's what you're telling me. Right. Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah, those are those are the exact thoughts. Exact thoughts you had. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think of um, you know we have our first pitch dinner, a fundraising dinner every January, and Jeff Kent spoke 
one year, um, did a great job, but he, he was an all American at Cal his freshman year. And then, and, and I guess my point to the story is that mental thing can happen to, to the best of us, you know? And the one, the one story he told us of his mindset, his sophomore year, he said, I was an all American, my freshman year. And then all of a sudden my sophomore year, I was counting on, nobody counted on me my freshman year. I'd just go play. But my sophomore year, I was the guy, you know, as a sophomore and all these expectations were set upon me. And he, he said, whenever I would get on the bus to go to the field, I wouldn't stop. You know, we've all had that. We've all had that thing. I like putting on the uniform. I like going on the trips. I like being a part of it. But when the game, when it's game time, I don't, I don't really want to play the game. I mean, we've all, we've all had those negative, those negative thoughts, you know, and, and he got over them and had some kind of some stories of of how he did that. And I think a lot of it's just preparation. You know, if if you're prepared, that takes a lot of the anxiety away. If, If you just, if you have subconsciously, your skills are set and you can just draw from your subconscious and it just happens. Um, that that's, you know, that's going to happen for you and, and, and you're going to be successful. But if, if you think you're alone in that, in those negative anxiety filled thoughts, I don't think there's a player that's ever played this game that, uh, or any sport at all that hasn't had those thoughts of, Oh, wow, I, I'm going to fail today. I mean, that's just one of the things that, that you, that you simply just have to get, get through somehow, some way you have to get through it but you're not alone for sure. Yeah, no doubt. And that, and that's really the whole point of kind of doing this is every person I talk to when they're, when I give them a chance to share their story, there's something that comes up in there, whether it was offensively, defensively, they're on the mound there. There was sometimes something in there that was like, yeah, there was a point where I, I thought I was awful, you know, that I, I, I stink or uh, I went, I went through my slump and I, I couldn't figure out how to get out of it, but I did eventually. You know, there was, yeah. I got that hit. Something happened, something clicks. Maybe it's a coaching a cue from a coach like yourself that they finally said, oh yeah, that works. And then they can kind of shift their focus, uh, get out of their own dome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And just, just start working on just getting better through that preparation to try to eventually work at a subconscious level on the field where it just happens and flows. Yeah. I mean, we've all, we've, uh, the story I told was kind of like the negative feelings, but we've also all probably all been in that where they call the zone, whatever that, where you don't, you know, I think it, it probably plays itself out more in basketball where no matter what you do, you could be looking this way, shoot this way and the ball's going to go in, you know, yeah. or yeah. if you're, if you're putting or, or whatever you're doing. And, and at the plate, we've had those, those times where the ball just looks so big. It, it doesn't matter who's throwing, you know, you're going to get a hit. And then there's those other times that it doesn't matter who's throwing, you know, you're going to get out, you know? So the consistency, what I love in a player is a player who thinks he's just a little bit better than he is. We were talking to Trent and I, Pratt and I were talking about this last night about some of our, our players that have gone through our program over the years, Dixie or, or BYU or whatever, but those players that are, they're just average players with, with average skills, but they think they're really good. And it's not cocky, it's not arrogant, but but it's confident and it's assertive, you know. And and the the dugout can be yelling at them, the the opposing dugout can be yelling at them, and they just smile. They don't they don't cower down, and it's just that it's that inner confidence. And um and we we also came up with with a few, and and most all of them came in as freshmen, and they were kind of like timid and a little bit nervous. They were almost opposite of what they became, 
And so, you know, I think if you ask most of our freshmen, I'm probably pretty hard on them just as far as like pushing, 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 um, expecting, expecting excellence out of them. And if they do something wrong, it's like, I'm on them. You know, I, I, there's not a whole lot they can do, whether it's tying their shoe or, you know, lace, whatever. (laughs) I I want them to do things a certain way and and I'm going to hold them accountable. But then I look at a guy like Jackson Clough or Brock Hale when they're freshmen, because Brock was like that too. He was a little, Brock had an opportunity to start after someone got hurt his freshman year and he was a little too nervous to do it. And so I took him out, put Keaton Kringlin in and he was, and he ended up being a freshman All-American, but Brock had his chance. Well, Brock ended up being one of the best hitters BYU's ever had in in BYU history. And it was just kind of a mindset and and it developed over the year, but I didn't say a whole lot to him, his junior and senior year. It was like, okay, he knows what my expectations are now. I, I was pretty hard on him his freshman year and sophomore year. And so I would, I would think that if you ask most of the players who have been through our program, is coach tough? Yeah, he's pretty tough, but it made me more mentally strong. It, it made me mentally, um, where man, when, when somebody from the other dugout was yelling at me, I didn't care. It didn't matter to me at all because my expectations and his expe- expectations are way higher than what they could ever expect from me. So there's kind of a fine line, but I, I do believe my point of this was, I do believe that the player needs to feel that the coach has his back and that the coach has confidence in him. And it's kind of a two-way street. You got to do the things you do on the field to gain that trust. And so it's kind of a relationship that develops over time. But I think it's really important for a coach to to try to always show that support and trust uh, for the kid uh, to a certain point. But but it's also got to be earned. So that's one of the yeah. it's one of the tough things about coaching. Yeah, no doubt. I, and like you said way back at the beginning, that you got to kind of treat everybody a little bit different. Because there are some kids, maybe they were a dude in high school and their high school coach let them get away with basically anything and there was no discipline. And then all of a sudden they come and now they're, they're timid, maybe a little bit scared as a freshman. They're, they're with older players now. They're, they're like, I, I don't know where I fit in here. And now coach is getting on me because I just screwed up. That can bury a kid for a little while. And now they're, not, they're unsure of themselves. They don't know what to do. So I think I would say the kind of message there too is to to be open and, and be willing to listen to criticism from your coach. And it, it doesn't mean that he hates you, that he's just he's trying to make you better and get on you, maybe motivate you a little bit to start, hey, let's go. Let's get this thing done. Yeah, oh for sure. I, I always tell my guys, like I've I've got three boys and a and a daughter. And I said, I, I'm mad at those guys. I've been mad at those guys before in my life. It doesn't doesn't mean I don't like them. I I still love them. And it's the same thing with you guys. I tell them if when you want to, when you, you should start getting worried if I'm not paying any attention to you at all, yeah. you know, because then, then you're kind of like, then you're probably written off because you either haven't, you haven't done what you're supposed to do or you're, you're kind of fighting the system. Um, or sometimes you just, Hey, I don't want to play anymore. Coach isn't going to put me in. And that, that happens. I mean, unfortunately that happens and you kind of go with the, the horses that are going to, to lead you there. But it's, to me, it's like, you, you hold, somebody asked me a long, long, long time ago, well, you need to treat everybody the same way. Not really. I mean, that's, that's not, that's not really how you coach a team. You hold everybody to the same standard. You hold everybody to the same level of accountability, but one player's accountability is going to be a little, you know, everybody's got to do whatever they can do to help the team, give, give everything they've got. Um, but, but more is it going to be expected out of a Jackson Clough than, 
a, a freshman who's going to play five innings. I mean, that's just different, but they, they both, so you have to be able to treat them different. You have to be able to, to know. Um, and I can think of, I mean, instantly 20 names come into my head. <laughs> you, you know, them. you know, what I'm talking, so I'm not going to name names, but some guys need a pat on the back and more of a, you know, if you, if you get on them, they're like, Oh, coach doesn't like me. And you're not going to get anything out of them. And, and a lot of guys, if you do that too, they want, they, they're like, well, why isn't coach getting on me? I, I screwed up here. So you have to get to know their personalities yeah. to know, to know what's going to like trigger them a little bit. And, to, and and sometimes you want to get under their skin and then, but most of the time you want to be, you know, you want to be uh, more of a support figure and, and give them a, le- a level of confidence, but you got to know, you got to know everybody differently and intimately to be able to, to know what, how to get the most out of them. So you got to know their love language. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. You, you really awesome. do. You've got to know what makes them tick. Yeah. Well, man, this has been incredible. A lot of amazing information here. Coach, what's one thing that you would say is we will kind of wrap it up here, but what is the one thing that you say gives you your mental edge? Oh gosh. I, I just, I mean, I'm super competitive. You know, I, I just, um, I'll, I'll just, I'll find a way, you know, that's the thing. It, it doesn't matter if um, we're trying to build a new scoreboard, if we're doing, you know, if it's something off the field. Um, I just, whatever I do, I just put everything I've got into it. And, and it doesn't, it, it could be a home project. It could be at work. I mean, it, it just, it doesn't matter. I put everything I've got into it and I, and I want to, I did the same thing refereeing. I mean, I, I'm OCD about some things. I mean, I tie one shoe before the other. I put one sock on the, I just, I, I feel like I'm super organized, but whatever I do, I'm going to, I'm going to put my full heart and soul into it. And, and, and I don't do anything halfway. If I start something, I finish it. And I think that's really what over the years that it's kind of sustained me. But I, but I, at the same time, I'm also willing to listen to my assistant coaches, listen to other people and make tweaks in the program or make, make changes because if you can't adapt um, it's been said and it's true that every year I get a year older but I'm coaching the same age kids you know that's true the the guys I'm coaching don't change I mean they're they're 18 to 22 23 um, and I'm 54 and I'm next year I'm going to be 55 and and they're going to be the same and so I have to adapt and so but but I would think the one thing is I give everything I got all the time and that's what I expect of my my guys that's awesome. And you still look like you're 30. So I don't, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> it's the lighting. It's the lighting. Uh, you're too nice. Thanks. Well, awesome, Coach. This has been amazing. I, I wanted to bring on, you know, we're bringing on different, you know, all different avenues, D1 coaches, scouts, big leaguers, former players, just try, trying to get information out to kids and just let them know that, hey, you're not alone in thinking that you might be crappy or that you're, you're trying to build your self-image, you don't know how to do it, that there's steps and things that you can do. So, Coach, I want to thank you for coming on board. Any, any last nuggets for us? Yeah, I would say it does, there's, there's a place for everyone to play. There really is. And you, but the player just has to be willing. Not everybody's going to be a D1 player immediately. But um, I would, I'll always take a guy, an average player, who's going to give everything they've got, over a guy who wears the shirt um, talented but lazy, you know, <laughs> that's the, I want, I want the blue collar guy yeah. that's going to work. And I've seen, man, I've just seen so many guys who are very, very average in high school. 
that have that mindset to get better and better. And they end up being, they end up being pro guys. And so mm -hmm. if you have the dream to, to play college ball or junior college ball or whatever it is, there's, there's a place for you. There really, really is. You just have to be willing to go there, get better and see where, see where life takes you, but don't give up the hope. That's awesome. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot of places to go. Sometimes you don't get that. That, that top D1 school or that your dream school, you know, and you're, you definitely guys fall into that category. Sometimes you got to go that JC route to get there. And even no matter what your JC level or the, at the D1 level right away, if you don't have the mindset to get better, no matter where you are, then it's probably not going to work out at either spot anyway. <laughs> it's not. And, and then when you get to that place, if you're not willing to here, I'll finish with this. Yeah. My, <laughs> <laughs> my biggest pet peeve is a parent who says, my kid's going to work harder than any, any guy you've ever had because they just don't know. I mean, they just don't know how hard these guys work. If, if you don't work as hard as everybody else and just what your parents say, because it's true, he's going to work hard, but everybody else is going to work hard. And it really comes down to the mental, the mental game, the mental mindset of who's going to be who's going to take that step out of, out of the ordinary into the great. And it's, it's their mind. It's going to be that mental toughness. that's going to do it because every single guy I've got works hard. And if they don't work hard, they're going to get kind of pushed out of the herd by, by the rest of the players. So that's a given. I don't even need to hear that from parents because I know they're going to work hard. It's, it's just not going to be accepted not to work hard. So I would, I would say work on the mental game and get that part of your life and, and your game worked out. And you're going to be, uh, just heads and tails above everybody else. And so that's my soapbox. No, that's awesome. I, I completely agree with that. Like everybody works hard. You know, it's that, what are you going to do extra? You know, what are you going to go yeah. far above and beyond all that stuff? So great stuff, coach. I want to thank you for coming on board with us. Uh, make sure you guys follow BYU. They have some amazing stuff online, uh, but thanks for visiting the channel and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks, Chad. Go Cougs. Hey, what's up, guys? I want to thank you for listening to today's episode. You know, if you had any experience playing a sport while growing up, or even now, you know, have a kid playing a sport, you know how important the mental game is. You know, there are many that say it's at least 60% of their sport, and some will even say it's as high as about 90%. So if the consensus is it's at least 60% of your game, no matter what sport, what are you or what are your son, you know, your daughter doing to work? on the mental game. I want to help you out or your athlete out. As I work with athletes at all different ages, they are all different as far as their engagement in a group setting or in one-on-ones. To help give athletes some options, I wanted to hit on doing mental training on their own time, one-on-ones, or even in a group setting. So I wanted to give you some options. My first option is my online course where I created over 40 videos where your athlete can watch, learn, and go through these videos at their own pace. I would think and say that this is great for those athletes that don't want to be a part of a group setting or they have thoughts, you know, they don't want anyone to know that I'm actually working on my mental game. Now, these videos come in a yearly membership where they watch the videos, they have access to me through email during the duration of their membership, and they get a one one-on-one -on -one call per year. And this is a membership, it's $199 per year. 
So more, for more information on that, go to mentaledge.training. The second option is for those that really liked engagement. I've been doing live weekly online calls where I pick a topic to coach on. I engage and ask questions with the athletes on how this applies to them. They take notes in their mental game journal and they work on that particular skill or the topic I give them for that week. Now, this option is a membership as well, and it's $13.99 a month. I also do get a lot of inquiries about one-on-one coaching as well as team coaching. I do do those as well. So you can email me at chad at mentaledge.coach for more details on that. But if you want more information on the links on these memberships that I have, click on the show notes and I can give you all that information there on those websites. But I want to thank you again for listening to this podcast. I do want to make this better. I would love to hear any comments, any suggestions you have where I can make this podcast even better for you and to help you out. I also want to let you know that all these interviews in, on this podcast are also in video form on YouTube. And if you go search Mental Edge Training Coach, all these interviews will be there as well. So again, thank you for listening, and I will see you in the next episode. Take care. <laughs>